Well, I was supposed to give this sermon last week, and I wasn't able to be here. And uh, I, got, I got a call from OSF, St. Anthony, at 5.30ish, saying that my mom had been rushed from P.A. Peterson, down there near Anderson Gardens, where she's been, where she had been there for two weeks. Uh, because her oxygen had dropped so low. In fact, for about three minutes, there was no pulse. They did full CPR, uh, revived her, but they weren't sure she was going to make it. So I skipped church, uh, rightly so, called Casey, who had, I checked my phone, two hours and 12 minutes before the start of this service. And didn't he do beautifully in that period of time? And addressed, I mean, not just kind of threw something out there like, hey, let's talk about uh, David and Goliath or something, right? Like he addressed a related topic that is super difficult, just difficult to hear. Because I listened to it the day or so after, and it was hard for me to hear. And I, and I know for many of us in this room that that issue is difficult, let alone just in our culture, that is not something we have been uh, nurtured to talk about. Yet for the Christian, it has to be. So I'm very thankful to Casey for his ministry to me and to, to our body for doing that. And, but, but Laura and I went down to the hospital and we sat with my mom who was completely on life support, unresponsive entirely, and we, we just prayed, Lord, be merciful. Well, over the course of this week, she slowly regained strength. A couple days ago, she got off the life support. And uh, I'll be able to see her today. With a, with a, uh, to add insult to injury, COVID ran through my house. So I haven't, I haven't seen her since that period of time, but I'll get to, get to see her today. But by God's common grace of FaceTime on a cell phone, uh, beautiful and gifted nurses and doctors. How beautiful is that service? I mean, just not, you know, not tasting it like this for a long time. When I think about those of you that serve in that capacity, I am grateful, very grateful. But for seven and a half weeks, our family has gone through this. It's been rough, absolutely. Like we are tired, all of us. We are exhausted. And I realize that what I'm tasting, some, if not most of you, have tasted in some capacity before. It is not unique to me and us, but it's, it's what we are tasting right now in God's perfect providence. It just is. We trust his providence. Even a little, even a little providence I'll share with you before we turn to our text today. Two-ish years ago, I was asked to write a book on creation, new creation, I subtitled it, A Biblical Theology of the Goal of All Things, and I literally just finished writing on heaven last Friday, the Friday before my mom, you know, went to OSF from P.A. Peterson. Like, I'd been spending the last month writing about heaven, all this time while my mom, post her cancer surgery has been, in a sense, almost, without knowing for sure, almost preparing for it. And that has just been beautiful providence for me. So I'm doing this work to give to pastors and students of the Bible or interested lay people 
on a topic that ultimately I needed to learn about and grow on. And even the, 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 the evening, two evenings before my mom went uh, to OSF, I actually was sitting next to her and I was sharing with her what I'd been learning. And that was pretty cool. And none of that would have happened. I probably wouldn't have had the space or time or even idea to talk about that if somebody hadn't come to me and said, hey, we'd like you to contribute to this series on biblical theological topics and we'd like you to do the creation, new creation one. And all of that was well before my mom was ever diagnosed with cancer or any idea that all that would happen. And yet in this whole process here, I have been studying something that's extremely relevant to our situation now. So God's providence is beautiful, even if it's in the midst of hurt and loss and fear and uncertainty and, and just being scared and being tired. Like God's providence goes around and through all of that. And I, I believe that. I'm very thankful for that. So I wanted to thank you for your support, uh, just the numerous texts and notes, whether they are to me and my family or to my mom, I'm thankful for that. I'm taking her a pile of cards this afternoon and we'll read them to her from some of you. Thank you for that, for that time. And uh, I'm just thankful that, that uh, we are together this morning and can spend time in the Word of God. Let's pray as we turn to our text this morning in the first commandment. Father, you, as we just saying, you gave us our breath. And so we pour it out in praise. So help the breath that you have given me this morning proclaim clearly and truthfully what your word says, your first commandment. Give us ears that hear and hearts that respond to you the beautiful truth of your word. And thank you that no matter what situation we come and gather this morning, whether it's literally dealing with difficulties in our family as my family's bringing to worship this morning or a host of other issues that all my brothers and sisters bring as they come and gather on the Lord's day, that you would minister to us by your spirit as only you can do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we introduced the Ten Commandments a couple weeks ago, I had talked about the kind of three aspects that I wanted to cover every time we looked at one of the commandments. And we're going to work through each of the ten. But every single time I wanted to look at three things, I wanted to talk about what the text says. And a lot of times, like this one, it's just a short little statement it's seven Hebrew words. You shall have no other gods before me. That's it. So we always want to talk about what the text says. But I also then want to take it further and look at what the text means, the deeper meaning, as Christ himself did in light of the new covenant. Christ would say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You read through the Sermon on the Mount, you see Jesus do that all the time. He takes what the Old Covenant says and then explains it in light of his person and work. That he fulfills it without abolishing it. He, he expands it. He deepens it. He extends it. So that ultimately then we can end each commandment looking at how this command relates to the person and the work of Christ and our relationship to him. But the Ten Commandments were not just written 
as constitution for the nation of Israel. They were written for the people of God, the church. And they are as relevant today as they were when they were first given as recorded in Exodus chapter 20. They are the law of Christ. We want to hear it that way. So look with me at that Exodus 20 text. This is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. By the way, every, every week I will try to have a second supportive text that fleshes out in more detail, generally probably from the New Testament, that fleshes out the deeper meaning, the thrust of the text. And, and as we end today, I'll turn to Revelation 5. That's, both of those are in your notes. But here's the beginning of Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I, I like that. Like he didn't just speak some of them. Like n- none were added. N- none were given later by a scribe. Everything you're about to hear is given, thus saith the Lord. And he begins by defining himself before he gives the ten you shalls or you shall not. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Like, I am your king. I am your creator. I am your Lord. Don't you forget who I am. And now let me give you ten ways that that needs to work itself out in relationship to who you are and how you relate to me. And the first that fits very much what he just said in verse 2 is this, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, if you remember, I said of the Ten Commandments, eight of them are negatives. They are, you shall not. And two of them are positive. So the negative command removes any possibility that it is allowable. It doesn't say you, it's okay to have a couple other gods. No, no other gods. None. But, but you could also say that every negative has a positive. That is, every Ten Commandment that's negating something is promoting something else. If there are to be no other gods, then there's only one God. I mean, verse 2 gives the answer, I am your God. Full stop, singular, capital G. You shall have no other gods plural, lowercase g, before me. The plural gods might be raised like, I mean, is the Old Testament promoting that there's other deities? No, no. the Bible in, in, in no way expresses that there are in anything close to God's comparative power. There isn't. Why plural? The plural is because the danger of replacing the true God, capital G, with some other God, lowercase g, is not so simple. There is the constant possibility of being lured away to other centers of meaning and value. Hundreds of objects of devotion crave your intention and entice you. Hundreds, if not thousands There are multiple claims right now in your life on your allegiance and your obedience. And the Bible would call all of those gods. Like if you read through the Old Testament, the best book on this, I think, is by a guy named Christopher Wright. And it's literally called Here Are Your Gods. Fascinating book. He looks through how the Old Testament shows all the ways God reveals to Israel 
how many times they are lured away by false gods. And every single time, God will come back to them and say, do you see how your devotion to that thing, your worship to that thing, you are treating it like it can save you. It can help you. That is not your God. I am. Over and over, the Old Testament reveals this. If you want to know what your God or my God, other than the true God, would be, you can ask some questions into your life. To what or to whom, for example, do you give frequent praise? Like, what do you praise a lot? In essence, that's the love question. Is there something in your life that you just love? You might not say it, like there's no doctrinal statement, but the way you live, the way your heart goes after it, the way your mind, when you're daydreaming, moves in that direction, the love question would, could reveal some lowercase gods in your life. Here's a second question. It's called the trust question. In whom or in what do you place your trust and confidence for your well-being? What are you trusting in? Is it your work? A, a common grace thing? Is it your physical health? Is it your relationship or your desire for a relationship? Will that solve all your problems and questions and concerns? Is your, is your happiness grounded in your children and grandchildren in such a way that honestly it becomes an object of devotion and worship? Your well-being is rooted in them? Here's the third question, the fear question. Love Trust and fear. To whom, or, to, to whom or to what do you turn for answers, purpose, and even joy in life? Like what would losing feel like the rug got pulled out beneath you? These are big things. Again, the, 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 it's not simple. It's not like you're supposed to live so frivolously like you're almost... A one foot in heaven already, right? Like nothing else matters. I don't even care about my wife. I don't even care about my children. Who cares about the bills, especially the bills, right? I mean, it's not one of those things. But here's the thing. Something that you should be faithful with, that's part of God's common grace, that's intended for human flourishing, if we're not careful, if there's not some kind of a barrier of separation, it becomes what we identify with, we trust in, we hope in, we live for. And ultimately, something that is generally natural and neutral becomes an idol. And it's so hard to see because it's, it's a good thing. It's, it's your marriage, a good thing. It's that beautiful little child that you love to cuddle with. It's your job and your work and your skills and, and your proficiency, which helps people and provides for your family and it's all these things, if not careful, morph into replacing your ultimate trust and joy and purpose in God. It happens so dangerously that we don't even realize it. And again, we, we can rail all day on the people of God in the Old Testament, but the reason God showed us several hundred years of their history is so we could see a mirror. Welcome to humanity. That's exactly what we do. 
And we just want to rip all day on these religious people of God who were clueless. We're actually supposed to see, brothers and sisters, that's the mirror that helps us see ourselves. That's our tendencies. Those are our forefathers. That's why it's a plural gods. And that's why we are right to ask the love question and the trust question and the fear question to say, is God my first love? Like deep down, if I'm being honest, not, not at a, I'm going to come up here with a mic and say, God's my first love. But in the, in the depths of my heart, if I'm being completely honest and nobody can hear my answer, what would the answer be? Is God the one I trust in the most? Like, could, could I, am, am I leaning on a rail so much that if the rail were to go, I would collapse? Is there something I can let go of or lose and without, full of pain and hurt? But it wasn't ultimately my foundational thing of trust. Is God the one in whom I, to whom I show my most reverence and fear? for the answers and purpose and joy in life? Those are deep questions that probably can't just be answered, yup, yup, yup. It probably takes hours, weeks, years of deep evaluation and the ministry of the Spirit for that to be made known. Interestingly, the command ends, you shall have no other gods before me. Literally, you know what it means? Probably a more rigid translation of the Hebrew be before my face. It's basically God saying, get that out of my face. It's like taking a second wife while still married to the first one and bringing her home at dinner time right in front of your first wife's face. Not done in secret. Right there. It's a clear break of the relationship. God is a jealous God. He will not share worship with another. So, remember this. Everybody, not just Christians, every human has a vibrant and thriving devotional life. Everyone does. When you ask the question, hey, how's your devotional life? Everyone should say, my devotional life is awesome. I am a faithful, devoted worshiper every single day. The question is not if you're a faithful worshiper, it's to what or to whom. That's the only question. And it's not just a question for the people in the world, because they're great worshipers. They are beautiful worshipers of God's. The question is, is do they realize that there is only one God who is worthy of all praise and glory and adoration, who deserves full allegiance. And it's not just something we can shout out to them in our little holy huddle. It's something that the Lord, starting in the Old Testament, began with his people. You shall have no other gods in front of my face. The first commandment calls us to faith in God alone, who will not share his worship with another. Let's take it deeper now. The first commandment demands we move past behaviors and examine the desires of our hearts. We have to move past that. As I said a moment ago, the question is not if, 
but who or what is your God? This commandment should rightly just cause us, and I'll give us a second in a few minutes to do this, just to pause and say, Lord, reveal to me my other gods. Is, is, it, my, is, is it the things that I own? Is it, is it literally my family can become a god? Is it my work? Is it my financial security? Is it my health? What is it? Show me. And where something natural and neutral has become a false allegiance, help me. Help me. Martin Luther said to have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe in that one with your whole heart. You lay hold of the God when your heart grasps him and clings to him. So for you, if you were going to, again, ask yourself the love, trust, and fear question to reveal your gods, maybe a good test would be when you are daydreaming, where do you go? Are you beautiful and attractive to all those around you? Are you powerful and strong? Are you the hero of the sports game? Are you the smartest person? Do you win the lottery and all your problems go away? Because you don't even have to think about money anymore? Is it new things you want? Where do you go? Again, no one's going to come up here. I'll tell you right where I go. I mean, no one's going to come up and say that. But the Lord is going to ask that question of all of us. Where do you go when you daydream? Those are your gods. That's what you love, what you trust, or what you fear. Are they driven, your gods, are they driven by desire for popularity, for power, for pleasure, or for more property, more things? You realize all of that belongs to God? Who is the most popular one in all creation? Who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Who is powerful beyond our imagination? And who is a God who satisfies us with abundance in life? It all belongs to him. And yet we can pursue those things by and through other means. Maybe you could ask the question this, are your daydreams, your, your answers to the love, trust, and fear question, are they at least connected to God in some way? Lord, I'd love to have my money problems go away if you, will, if you, if you provide. Are they even submitted to God? Like, have you submitted your devotion to other gods to him? Lord, this is where I struggle. This is what I wrestle with. I missed uh, church a couple Sundays ago. I took the day off to take my oldest son to a football thing on a Sunday morning. It felt odd to me on a Sunday not to be in church, but it was a one-time thing. We drove to Chicago where my son, a big football player, had been invited to compete in what's called a showcase. And his mom and I weighed it and thought through and thought, yeah, this, it's, it, this would be a worthy thing to go to. It was a one-day thing. A one Sunday thing. So we went to it and we walked in and there are 400 of some of the best athletes, many of them from all across the country and majority from the Midwest. Big old hosses. 
that made my boy look like normal size. And a bunch of big dads just like me walking around. So there were about 400 kids and there were at least 600 parents. There was about 1,000 people. I walk, we walk into this facility and they're all getting ready and stretched. And what I have come to learn in the athletic world, it, it is a massive religion in our culture. And so it was about to start, and I'm thinking about Sunday morning worship. It's about 9 o'clock, and I'm thinking that you guys are just ending service, and here I am in this room with my book I'm reading. So I decide, you know what, I'm going to give a little sermon. So I climb up on the stands, and I get to the top, and I said, can I interrupt you for a second? And like literally, the people are looking at me, they're stopping, there's 400 kids, there's coach with whistles, tons of parents. Can I interrupt you for a second? Are, are all of you pagans? Okay, I didn't actually say this, but I wanted to. <laughs> like what I wanted to say is, it is so hard for us not to worship the gods of this world. It is so hard, because these of them, I'm driving there with my little boy, as I call him. I'm reminding him that this is the Lord's day. This is his day, where he should be worshipped, and those thousand people should have been gathered around the word, singing praises to the king, because even their bodies, as big and strong as they are, as fast and is capable, are literally given as a common grace gift by the Creator. And He gives and He can take away the breath in their lungs, doesn't even belong to them. And I just didn't want my 16-year-old boy not to hear that from me as I'm driving there. So I didn't go up on the stands, I lied to you about that. But I thought several times, what would I say? What would I say? Would they even know what I'm talking about? Would they even see that trucking their kid through all these club sports and thousands of dollars, literally for maybe a small fraction of them, a small fraction to get some kind of financial remuneration or a little bit of fame? A little bit. How many Tom Brady's were there? I have, I have a lineman. Nobody even knows what those do. But are those parents living vicariously through their kids? Or could they just walk away and say, you know who is the most powerful, sovereign, worthy of glory and praise? It is Jesus Christ. Imagine if in today's football playoff games, that Patrick Mahomes and all these great superstars were to grab the microphone and at midfield say, you know what we realize with you 70,000 fans and millions watching, there is one person who deserves the focus of our attention these three hours and his name is Jesus Christ. And so we're just gonna have a church service. Because would that be a lie? See, it's not if we have a devotional life. It's who or what are we devoted to. And what can you do about that? Well, let me give you a couple steps that you could do. First, ask the Lord 
to help you examine your heart. Like, it's not, it's not a mental thing. It's a heart thing. Ask the Lord, Lord, help me to examine my heart. What do I love that competes with you? What do I trust that competes with you? Or what do I fear that competes with you? Well, I spoke to my mom this past week. We talked about death. That's a hard conversation to have with your mom. Full stop. Just a hard conversation. But we cannot fear death more than we fear God. And our emotions don't want to do that. Like our emotions, oh, no way. No way. Not mine, probably not yours. But we must say God is God above all things. We must say that. We must believe that. And that is work. That is focus. That is allegiance. That is devotion. So first, ask the Lord to help you examine your heart. Second, confess when and if he reveals to you things that you might love, trust, or fear more than him. Confess your misaligned desires to the Lord. Say, Lord, I, I love material things. I love financial security. Or I'm, I'm single and the desire to be married and to be loved dominates my thinking. Or my work, it, it, it's all I think about. I, I revolve around that because of my identity is grounded in that. Or my kids, can I hold them loosely enough that they are ultimately yours and not mine while still trying to be a good mom and dad? Confess your misaligned desires. And then focus. Thirdly, ask, confess, and then focus. Focus on the areas of temptation and bring them regularly to the Lord. If, it's, if, if, if you are single and it just seems like if you're being honest and the Lord is being clarifying that your pursuit of a marriage partner dominates your thinking, then you wrestle with that temptation in the venues and the ways that it confronts you. Last thing, in light of Christ and the new covenant, the first commandment shepherds us. Remember, remember this, uh, this truth we learned about the Ten Commandments? In the Old Testament, they looked forward. They were promises of what Christ would do. In the New Testament, they help us look at us to participate rightly in Christ. The first commandment shepherds us to see that Christ alone is worthy of our faith and worship. Remember that all these commands are singular. Why? Why is the command, you shall have no other gods before me, singular? Because God knew full well that you and I were never going to fulfill this. So what he did is he actually gave a command. He threw a pass perfectly across how many centuries that literally on the cross, Jesus called, boom, boom. And he fulfilled it. He gave a command that was going to wait hundreds of years to be fulfilled by one person so that you would know that you can participate in God because he took this and fulfilled this for you.
In the new covenant, the Ten Commandments help us properly participate in the grace of God and enjoy the fruits of life in Christ. So we know this. We know that Christ only fulfills. We know that he must be our first allegiance. We've actually been free to actually worship that way. How many of those parents or kids at that event a couple Sundays ago were actually enslaved to making football their God? When probably at the annoyance of my own 16-year-old, I'm saying, I'm saying to him as we're walking through the hallways, This is not our God. We should be worshiping the Savior right now. All these things will pass away. Your body is absolutely given to you by the grace and mercy of God. You did nothing but be faithful with what you've received. That's it. Let me close with this. There is no other God other than Christ worthy of your love and your trust and your fear. Hear that this morning. There is no other God other than Christ worthy of your love, trust, and your fear. And if you want proof of that, let me end with Revelation 5. It's a great scene of gathering of all the world. And I want you to note what I underlined in the notes for you in verse 2. There's a problem that has to get solved. Listen to the text. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. That that scroll symbolizes the meaning, the power, the purpose of all things. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, who is worthy? Don't miss that question. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? You think Tom Brady can walk up there? You think any U.S. president could walk up there? How about any Caesar in Roman times when a third of the world was dominated by their power? You think Pharaoh could have walked up there? Can you think of anybody in any time in human history that could walk up there and say, I'm worthy? The text even tells us this. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, i.e. nowhere, no place, no one, could open the scroll or even look inside it. They couldn't even look at it. John explains, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And look at this. I love verse 6. He was just described as a lion and a king. And in verse 6, he's a lamb. You're seeing the whole biblical story just told in just a couple images. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and strength, 
and honor and glory and praise, i.e. to receive all the love in the world, all the trust in the world and everything you would ever fear. Then I heard every creature in heaven, every creature. You know who that includes, by the way? Future speaking? Those of you who know Jesus Christ. You are actually watching a trailer for what you're about to do. And all your loved ones with you. And maybe, in God's grace in your family, your great-great-grandchildren standing right there. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Now when Exodus 23, the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. What does it mean? It means, Lord, you alone are worthy. And it beckons us, it invites us by God's grace to love him more than other things, to trust him more than other things, and to fear him more than other things. Even if, like my family right now, death itself, which is not easy to do. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand your word and to respond to it. Thanks for the grace of the cross, the beauty of Jesus, the message of the gospel. Thank you for this first commandment. I can't fathom that we've got nine more to help us understand your perfect provision and purposes in this world. Father, as we end, we are just reminded of your faithfulness, your goodness to us that you have given and how you are a faithful God, even though we are at times faithless, that we do not always put our faith in you. Father, receive this closing song as a song of reflection and of worship to you, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.